Welcome to the podcast series for the Journal of Neurophysiology. I'm Bill Yates, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal, and today we will be discussing the article, Acetylcholine-Induced Hyperpolarization and Decreased Resistance in Mammalian Type 2 Vestibular Hair Cells. Before we begin, let's meet our guests. Hi, my name's Lauren Poppy. I'm a PhD student from the University of Newcastle in Australia, and my research focus is vestibular efferent physiology. And uh, my name is Alan Brichter. I'm also a vestibular researcher at the University of Newcastle, Australia, with a long-standing interest in things vestibular. I'm also head of anatomy and teach into various medical and allied health programs. Could you give us a brief introduction to the role of the efferent vestibular system? The mouse brainstem has two small nuclei that uh, sit above the genu of the seventh cranial nerve, and it's about the same level as the abducens cranial nerve nucleus. In mammals, axons from this efferent vestibular nucleus project ipsi, contra, and bilaterally. However, there are no studies in mouse that have determined the percentage of each of these projection patterns. Nevertheless, efferent axons find their way to the eighth cranial nerve and exit the brainstem and then enter individual vestibular organs. There's some evidence to suggest that individual efferent axons tend to innervate a single vestibular epithelium, but again, the situation in mice is unknown. Once the efferent axon enters the epithelium, it branches extensively. Indeed, of approximately about 5% of fibres in the eighth nerve, the branching is so extensive in the neuroepithelium that the efferent boutons, both en passant and terminal type, make up up to one-third of all bouton contacts in the periphery. These efferent bouton terminals contact directly type 2 hair cells. They also contact the outer face of calyx afferent terminals and primary afferent parent axons. And they very rarely contact type 1 hair cells directly. And they tend to do that through the calyx. As for the role of the efferent system, it still remains a bit of a mystery. In the auditory field, efferents are associated with sharpening the frequency tuning of auditory afferents, but it's unclear if vestibular efferents do something similar. Nevertheless, one of our co-authors, Americo Migliaccio, has suggested that it plays a role in modulating baseline VOR, vestibular ocular reflex, but it is perhaps more importantly modulating long-term mechanisms that require plasticity, such as vestibular adaptation and vestibular compensation. And this was described in the Hubner papers from 2015 and 2017. While we don't understand the functional or behavioural role, we also don't yet understand the peripheral cellular mechanisms involved. And that's what this paper is addressing. What was your hypothesis regarding the cellular mechanism underlying afferent sensitivity reduction? Yeah, it's been about 40 years since Goldberg and Fernandez first described the mammalian efferent vestibular system and what it does in mammals. They did it in monkeys. But what we were trying to do was actually look at the cellular mechanisms of these things. And in particular, what they described were two important but potentially confusing features. One was that upon electrical activation of the efferent system, they observed excitation almost exclusively, unlike the mixed response that had been reported in non-mammalian preparations prior to this landmark paper. They also observed a reduction in sensitivity of vestibular afferents in response to the efferent system being electrically activated. Similar observations were reported in 1990 by Boyle and Heistein, who studied the toadfish. 
and further studies suggesting a cellular mechanism were proposed in 2009 by one of our co-authors, Dr. Richard Rabbit, together with Boyle and Heisting. In that paper, they suggest that the opening of a large basolateral conductance in hair cells following efferent stimulation was responsible for the decrease in sensitivity that they observed. So we wanted to find out whether the same mechanism was at play in the mammalian vestibular system and whether it was linked to the unusual alpha-9 nicotinic receptor that's found predominantly in the inner ear. How did you test your hypothesis? Well, we tested it a number of ways. Uh, we used essentially whole cell patch clamp recording to determine the activity of, in particular, type 2 hair cells in response to exogenously applied ACH. We did this on three mouse strains. Two strains were our control or background strains, or considered wild type in our paper. And a third strain was the alpha 9 knockout strain uh, we obtained from JAGS. So we used short, about 100 milliseconds, but effective applications of 300 micromolar ACH, and we were able to apply this repeatedly with no observable decline in effectiveness. So in wild-type mice, we used uh, antagonists to isolate the various channels involved. For example, we used strychnine, which is a potent inhibitor of the alpha-9 nicotinic channel. And we also used apamin and tamapin to block the closely linked calcium-activated potassium channel. We also used the fast calcium chelator BAPTA internally to confirm that calcium was playing an important role in the ACH activation of type 2 hair cells. And then on top of that, we used multi-sine wave stimulus, uh, which was superimposed on our uh, recordings, or at least our stimulus, and it was recorded during ACH applications. And the reason for that was to try and extract capacitance measurements from the hair cell that we were measuring. What were your findings? The one major finding which led to the rest of the results uh, was this, that alpha-9 nicotinic receptor subunit is really essential in the observed ACH responses reported in this paper, and therefore obviously critical to mammalian efferent activation. And it was the calcium coming through this alpha-9 receptor that triggered these responses. Firstly, we saw hyperpolarization yep. of type 2 hair cells, and this results in type 2 hair cell inhibition. Uh, we also saw decreased membrane resistance in type 2 hair cells. This would obviously result in a reduced voltage change in response to transduction current, and therefore effectively reducing the sensitivity of type 2 hair cells. And, and that's important later on when we describe what the action is of the efferent vestibular system. Our third observation was that, most interestingly, we observed an increase in membrane capacitance in type 2 hair cells following ACH application that lasted up to 60 seconds or more. And this is consistent with prolonged or maintained exocytosis. So we thought this last finding was very intriguing since it suggests that acetylcholine likely induces transmitter release over a prolonged period. What was even more surprising was that we even saw this increased membrane capacitance when the hair cell was hyperpolarized, that is sort of around about minus 85, which means that we couldn't be invoking voltage-activated calcium channels, so that 
that release of neurotransmitter, which we propose is happening, must be triggered by the calcium that is coming in through the alpha-9 receptor. What are the implications and next steps for your research? So the implications we think are as follows. The acetylcholine induced reduction in type 2 hair cell resistance due in large part to the activation of the alpha-9 and the calcium-activated potassium channel, the SK channel, will reduce their sensitivity to transduction currents. And this may help explain some of the reduced sensitivity that was observed by Goldberg and Fernandez and then later by Boyle, Rabbit and Highstein. So taken at face value, acetylcholine hyperpolarizes the type 2 hair cell. In the past, this has been interpreted as the inhibition of type 2 hair cells. However, with the increase in membrane capacitance that we also observed at the same time, this suggests that transmitter release occurs even under these hyperpolarized conditions. So the mechanism for such release could be explained by the incoming calcium through the alpha-9 receptor, and it could therefore trigger the excisotosis that we observe as capacitance increases. And this calcium either by itself or through the calcium stores, which are situated, I'd say, tantalizingly close to the efferent synapse. It's in this sort of cytoplasmic system that sits right below the efferent synapse. So we could have an additional mechanism amplifying a response. So therefore, during efferent activation, type 2 hair cells theoretically could still contribute to the excitation of mammalian primary afferents, even though they're principally inhibited by efferent activation. So we may have a mechanism that explains the classical observations, again, by Goldberg and Fernandez, which was that we see an increase in activity in primary afferents, but a reduction in the sensitivity. And the mechanisms that we've described in the paper may contribute to this. The next step would be to follow the calcium trail. Is the source of exocytosis simply the calcium coming in through the alpha-9 channel? Or is it amplified by the underlying synaptoplasmic system where calcium-induced calcium release may be occurring? In conclusion, uh, to our co-authors, Hassam Tabatabai, Hannah Drury, Philip Jobling, Robert Callister and Rebecca Lim from the University of Newcastle, Australia, Americo Migliaccio from Neuroscience Research Australia, Pavey Jordan and Chris Holt from the University of Rochester, and Rick Rabbit from the University of Utah. We'd like to thank them all for their valuable contributions. Thank you. I would like to thank our guests for participating in today's discussion of the article, Acetylcholine-Induced Hyperpolarization and Decreased Resistance in Mammalian Type 2 Vestibular Hair Cells, part of the podcast series for the Journal of Neurophysiology. Thank you.